Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. So this Advent, I'm approaching in a way I've never approached before. Every every year, every season Advent, there are a series of readings, most often um, related in the same way to what you see every week in your intersections Bible study. There is an Old Testament passage of Scripture, there is a psalm, there is a gospel, and there is another New Testament passage of Scripture. In fact, that's usually how our readings uh, in church are constructed. Almost always, the psalm is the call to worship. Every now and again, we have a, a prophet in there uh, instead, like we did today. And, um, and then usually, preaching from the Old Testament or one of the New Testament or gospel passages. This Advent, going to approach it by preaching from the psalms. The Psalms are parts of the Bible that are the evocative voice of the people of God who are recognizing what is happening and asking for God's intervention or praising God for His intervention. It is, it is, it is the way in which um, they worshipped, they sang, they, uh, they communicated God's goodness in the face of what is happening. And so, over the next four Sundays, we will be reading from these psalms. And this first one I want to read for you today is Psalm 80. And um, I want you to just hear the words of it. Um, unlike many other sermons where uh, I will kind of like, I don't know, walk through line by line, I won't do that as much with this as, as much as just preach about what the psalm is about. Hear these words. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved." Further in the psalm, he says, But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. We live in a culture that struggles to make space for feelings that could be described as negative. Uh, Few uh, employers, or more a little bit now, but just starting to come into the purview is things like bereavement leave. Time away to take care of uh, great sadness when tragedy strikes. Those who do often only offer a few days and restrict it to certain people or family members. 
we're pushed and encouraged to kind of rush past our emotions, rush past anger, fear, sadness, grief. And I, and I, and I wonder how much that plays into how we believe God thinks about those feelings as well. Whether we find ourselves thinking, well, God's going to be too busy or too unwilling to listen to our negative emotions. Maybe it is because in our society we often live in a a place that invites us to ignore or repress those or to hurry through them. Uh, we, we begin to feel that we can't be angry with God, we can't ask questions of God, we can't accuse God. And so when we hear a psalm do those kinds of things, we think to ourselves, wait a minute, what's happening here? This isn't how it normally is. Or maybe we worry about the repercussions. What would happen if I were to be that honest with God, if we were to express those feelings fully? But here we are, the first Sunday of Advent, it's a Sunday where we normally talk about light, the light of God that breaks into the darkness. In our homes, in our world, our communities have started to light up the neighborhoods. They're filled with warm spices and twinkling lights, and like our, 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 the, our homes are starting to be filled with the aroma of the season. And so our anticipation for the season is beginning. And one of the things I like about when our, our communities start to like light up uh, the neighborhoods and stuff, I, I remember that those lights have always been an indication of Christ's light that breaks into our world. Uh, the, the whole origin of lighting the Christmas tree came from, I think it was Martin Luther, someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong, when he looked out and saw like the light reflecting off of icicles, uh, the, the, the moonlight reflecting off of icicles, said this is like the light of the world uh, of Christ breaking into our darkness. And so began the tradition of lighting up the trees that they would bring into their homes and putting candles on them. Thankfully, we don't use candles very much anymore, but nonetheless bringing light into the darkness as a, as a testimony of Christ who is the light in our dark world. And so when I see that even in our communities, I find myself thinking how amazing it is, even if it isn't given theological or Christian perspective, our God is trying to break into our world where things are dark. Psalm 80 is a lament. It is filled with grief. It is filled with anger. It's filled with sadness. It's filled with despair. And not only that, but it directs those feelings at God. Darkness and light, lament and hope are perhaps a little more related than sometimes we like to admit. We can't appreciate one without acknowledging and understanding the other. But to lament is to be honest. To name the reality is the start of the lament. When doctors have to tell a family member someone has passed, they have to use the word die or death. Can you, one of the things I've, one of the things someone said to me over the last week was, can you imagine if a doctor used some of the euphemisms we used? They used a phrase like, they've gone to a better place with another doctor. The doctor might think, do you mean another hospital? <laughs> like, we have to, they have to use those words, not only for practical, but also, to name the reality can be the start of coming to terms with it. As a pastor, I found myself uh, at a funeral or what has now even come to be called celebration of life services, which 
is great because I think that is what a funeral service should be. But on the other hand, just sticking to that title sometimes is in its own way a reflection of not wanting to come to terms with what we are talking about here. But I try to make sure I use, whenever I speak in those services, I make sure to use the D word to say that they are dead or have died. To name the reality of where we are is important for those experiencing loss or grief or trauma. And, and, and to deny that is, is to deny the possibility of moving forward. And when we name our painful reality, we're able to process it. We're able to cope for it in ways which, if it's ignored, we can't cope with it. Anxiety increases when we can't name the reality of it in our life. And this is something that can be experienced in big and small ways in our life. It happens when emotions are suppressed too long. It often leads to things like physical health issues, explosions of anger, burnout, or issues where people, uh, uh, and holding down so long, it creates turmoil in other areas. Coping with and processing reality is why I think therapy has become so much more prevalent today and also so much more effective is because acknowledging and speaking reality is the way towards healing And naming reality is important for those who are listening. Because we start to realize, wait a minute, it's not just me. Or in speaking to somebody else, hey, this is what I'm dealing with, or this is what I'm struggling with, and someone else will be able to say the same thing to realize, well, I'm not the only one. When a community acknowledges the truth of the sorrow together, the community can heal together. Because it is difficult to address a need that no one knows is there. And living in community means caring for one another. It means knowing the needs of others and helping to recognize and helping to bring healing uh, instead of hurt. Often, what is intended to, to be helpful can hurt if we don't listen. And it is important for us to acknowledge the truth of one another. And then when someone cries out, to recognize where they are crying out from. And so this psalm is exactly that kind of crying out. In fact, a good deal of the psalms, about two-thirds of them, is what is called a lament psalm. A psalm of crying out, a psalm of anger or sadness or worry about what is happening. As one who uh, uh, is tasked with figure out the call to worship every week. (laughs) I assure you that most of the time when I go into worship, I think, okay, we're bringing everyone here. Let's get ready to praise the Lord, and we're going to begin on a high note. Let's go. And you look for psalms of which we're going to be uh, reading together. And when two-thirds of the psalms are laments, you find yourself sometimes looking again and again. Where's another positive one that we haven't read recently? Because so many of the psalms are indeed heartfelt cries out. For God, and the truth is that we are able to bring that with us when we come to worship. An interesting thing is more and more of the worship that we sing, a lot of modern worship misses that element of lament, misses that moment of saying we can be real with where we are and bring that before God. It's why I like that new song that we have been singing over the last couple weeks as well. 
we find that we, sometimes we need to create space to be able to say, God, this is where I am today, and this is all I've got. Neglecting the reality of lament can be problematic because it can cause us to project onto God the false reality that God does not care about our truthful emotions or experiences, or that we have to present ourselves in a certain way for God to be able to accept us. What I like about the Psalms is they teach us that that is not the case. Indeed, when we neglect lamenting, we create a community that struggles to embrace people where they are and for who they are. This type of community will stop empathizing with people who, when they can't relate to their experiences, when they, when they create issues because they, they've learned to stop listening. Over the last couple of years, there have been some documentaries about churches, churches that have stopped listening to one another and caring for one another and have done horrible, terrible things to one another and created communities that were abusive and hurtful and sinful. It's what happens when we forget to be real with who we are and what we struggle with. Lament is normalized in the Psalms as part of living in a broken world, so much so that the majority of them fit that category, which shows us that this is not a minor experience. Difficult feelings are part of the human experience. We all have them. And difficult feelings are also part of the faith experience. And those feelings are, and those experiences are not just individual, they're communal as well. For us, we only have to think back a couple of weeks to know what it is like to lament as a community together when faced with tragedy when faced with awful sin in our world. And lament is not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced. In addition to the numerous psalms that, that focus on this, there's also an entire book of the Bible. It is called Lamentations. It is a book that recognizes that we can cry out to our God, and our God hears us and, li- and listens to us. And so this psalm itself... The people are crying out to God and they're blaming Him for the terrible situation they're in. God has fed them with tears, they say. God's going to make, God is uh, giving them to drink nothing but their tears. They are crying out and saying, God, why are you doing this to us? And they are pointing him out. And they are recognizing that they have become objects of scorn to their neighbors, that they are bullied as bullied can be, that they are absolutely pushed down, and that all the protections around them have fallen. And the people see God as the one who is behind all these things, the good and the bad. But oftentimes when... We're in the midst of it. Sometimes we have a hard time thinking about how much that might be the consequences of our own actions. And even if they are, we recognize that we haven't been spared from those. And so the anger gets directed towards God. And we do this sometimes too. Blame God for things that aren't God's fault, but this is a part of crying out saying, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know where else to look. And even though they blame God for their situation in this psalm, they still affirm and believe that God is trustworthy, that God's loving, and that God is good. And they call out to God to restore them. 
with the expectation that God's, God's going to listen, that God hears them. And this is not the act of someone who believes God's going to be angry toward them. This is the act of someone who's secure, knowing that God has shown himself to be good before and that God might return to that past faithfulness. And so they're saying, God, you were good before. Here I am in the midst of this turmoil. It seems like you have, uh, you, you have allowed this to happen. Would you show your faithfulness again? And so this lament is rooted in a kind of hope. They address God because they believe God's going to listen, and they believe God's going to respond. And they're not afraid of God's response. They long for the hope and love that he has. It reminds me in some ways of um, working with children. A young toddler, even up five, six years old, they, uh, they know who they can go to to ask for help. They know who they can go to to plead for help, to beg for help. They know who they can go to to cry, and they know who they can go to to scream at and to yell at. It's their parents. It's always their parents. It's because they know the parents' love is never failing. As parents, we might get exasperated at it, shocked or even surprised at it. But our love never ceases. And so the Psalms also display a people who cry out in desperation with their needs without understanding the situation around it, without understanding if there's a will of God involved, without understanding the reasons behind people do what they do. But what they do is they just cry out, and they cry out in desperation, and they cry out in hurt. But they are not cries of faithlessness. They are not cries that indicate an absence of faith. They are cries to the only one who's left to hear and the only one they trust and the only one they know has loved them before and is still going to love them after they blow up at them. Psalms like Psalm 80 are a cry of faithfulness in the face of hopelessness. It is looking for light in darkness. They have faith in the one who breaks into their hopelessness with a fresh breath of life and a ray of hope into the darkness and pain with a glimpse of truth. And so Advent season is a season intermingled with lament and hope. It is a season that on the one hand, we know that this is a season that has and carries with it memories and sorrows and missed opportunities, but it is also a season of expectation. It is a season that indeed that we hope and pray that God will enter into our life precisely where it is at this point and bring something new and bring joy and hope again. The cry of every longing heart is to be saved. And in the scriptures we read of a people who long for the Messiah to come. Despite the years of silence, despite the years of oppression, despite the years of struggle, asking again and again, God, are you going to come and deliver us? And there is a lament in that waiting. Where's God? What's God doing? Has God forgotten us? But there is a hope in that longing as well. Looking, watching, waiting, with the expectation that God will hear prayers and respond. It's seen in the faithful followers of God in the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, Anne and Simeon, who they meet at the temple. 
the Magi who come watching the skies wondering, okay, uh, we've heard that the Messiah is to come. Shepherds who hear their hope is being realized. There is hope in the watching and the waiting and the crying out. And we may have much to lament in our lives. And I know, in our church, we have indeed, even in these weeks, trials and sorrows and things that have come our way. And whether our individual traumas and experiences or whether they are communal ones, as we have experienced as well, or whether we are crying out to God because of the sins in our society, we do have much to cry out to God about. But this lament, it's not the opposite of hope. It's taking time to open up the possibility of God to restore that hope. To find indeed that we can trust in His faithfulness. And to find indeed that God will be present with us. That is what the word Emmanuel means. God with us. That we can indeed, in the midst of all this, be saved from sin saved from the darkness. Laments made in hope open us up to being healthy in a whole community with one another, to be a people who love and take care of one another. Lament moves us into hope that is built on the foundation of the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it can be easy to rush past this, and I know that I myself have not spent much time talking about this in the Advent seasons of the past. It's just not something I tend to spend a lot of time on. But to rush past it is to disregard the vast number of psalms and passages of Scripture that indeed are very real about who we are and what we face. To just rush to the happy parts of the Christmas story or any story in Scripture would miss the beauty of life and God's engagement in our life, even in the midst of grief. There is hope in these moments. Lamenting helps us remember that God is big enough for the entire human experience, even the hard parts. Lamenting helps us remember that God has been faithful and will be again. And it helps us remember that we are better, healthier, and more whole when we tell the truth before God and before one another. And so, as we lament, we are open then to things like confession and things like repentance, and also to the beauty of the hope of the resurrection life in the face of what we are facing. And as we reflect this first Sunday of Advent, we remember that Christ came to be the light of this world and came to be the light that enters into the darkness but we also hold closely to the God who continues to come. The God who will come when Christ returns, but the God who continues to meet us where we are in the power of His Holy Spirit, who continues to show up and love us in the midst of whatever is going on right now. And we long for that Christ to show up again, to meet our deepest needs and heal our deepest wounds. And we sing our laments with confidence that he hears us and the hope that he will come again. Amen. As we go to prayer here, before I say anything, there's going to be a moment of silence. I'm just going to ask you to just, in that moment of silence, to speak to God. What is your cry?
What is your lament? What is your grief? What is your anguish? What is your anger? And I say speak, whether you do that just you to God or whether you say that out loud, that's up to you. We are just going to take a moment and let God know what is the cry of our heart where we need Him to break in and where we are waiting for Him to work where we need Him most. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with hearts open to you. And I thank you that you are the God who is big enough, the God who is loving enough that we can cry out to you, that we can say where we need you most, whether it's because we are fed up with how things have been, whether it's because we are mourning how things are, Or, Lord, there is grief of what has occurred. Lord, you meet us in those moments, and we can bring that to you. And you do not judge or hate or turn your back away from us, even in moments where we might blame you for it, where we might say, why didn't you act? We can just cry out what the need is and know that you are the God who is faithful and that you are the God who will hear and restore. Indeed, Heavenly Father, we come this season, we walk into Advent season beginning today, knowing that you have invited us to trust, to wait, and to expect that you are breaking into even those moments. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be open to what your Spirit wants to do in our life and the communities that we are a part of. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that he would be Lord in our life and that we would hear his love and grace for us where we are today. It is in his name that we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve Him today.